Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Another Film Popcast. My name is Tierney. My name is Colin. My name is Matt. That was Borat-esque. Yeah. It started <laughs> Borat, and then I was like, that's too... That's too, that's, that's too Borat. I gotta walk yeah, that back I, a little bit. I can't just do a Borat voice. <laughs> <laughs> what are we thinking here? <laughs> Um, uh, so today we are finishing our little mini run on movies that were nominated for but did not win Best Picture. Um, and this one is my choice. So this one we're watching, or we watched and we're talking about The Graduate. This one is my choice. <laughs> my choice. My- <laughs> it's my for it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, this movie's been on my radar probably since high school. Um, like a friend of mine, I mentioned in like sort of in passing that I like coming of age movies and a friend of mine was like, Oh, you've never seen the graduate. You should see the graduate. And I was like, okay. And then it's just been like on my list since then, which would have been like mid two thousands. And I just like never got around to watching it. Uh, I eventually like, I went through several criterion sale iterations considering buying it. And then I never did. And then finally last year on Black Friday, I was just like, okay, it's time. I'm going to buy this fucking movie and I'm going to watch this fucking movie. And of course I didn't actually watch it until what, like we contrived a reason for me to force myself to finally watch this movie. But all of that is to say, I have now seen The Graduate and I thought it was really good. Um, I'm excited. I don't really have like a ton to talk about, so I'm excited to see where the conversation goes, but um, but I did like it, and it. I thought it lived up to the hype of, you know, 17-year-old Colin, so. Sure. But um, what did you guys, I mean, have, have you guys, either of you guys seen this before, or was this first time for you guys as well? I'd seen it before. Uh, I had seen it before in college. Um, I think in a class. I think I saw it in a class. Um, and I remember not being, like, so super invested in the story back then i was just kind of like like this this is just a lot of like problems that they're making for themselves yep and like not a lot more than that uh and i felt pretty similarly this time uh i didn't dislike the movie uh and i think there's like uh some stuff that's that like uh shots that are really cool and sequences that are really well made um but i think yeah i think my problems come with like the how it's aged and some of the character motivations that just kind of seem like they happen because they have to um but that's my take uh so tyranny what are your thoughts um so i had also seen it before uh I remember not <coughs> actually liking it the first time and just being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, and then this time I liked it better, but I don't kind of, I think what you're saying as well, I don't like the second half. I think if you took the first half and then like just had it between Ben and Mrs. Robinson I think it would have been a much more interesting movie. Because um, I think that she's actually... This time watching it, I was like, oh, she's probably the most interesting character in, in the story. Absolutely. 
Uh, and so I would have preferred to have seen more of her. Um, and one thing I also... Okay, this is going to be big news. Uh, one thing <laughs> I noticed watching it... Because um, I think... I was telling someone earlier this week where I was like, I have to watch The Graduate. But if it comes to like 70s rom-com with a singer-songwriter album, I would actually prefer Harold and Maude. Um, oh, for sure. <clears throat> and watching it this time, for those who don't know, I'm a big Paul Simon fan. <laughs> watching it this time, his music does not fit with this movie. No, nope. not at all. <laughs> That's one of the things I remember from my first watch, was yeah. being like, this is actually kind of annoying that this music keeps coming back and it doesn't entirely fit the scenes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell me more about your thoughts on that, because I'm very interested in that part. I just, it's not, like, especially those Simon and Garfunkel songs, I mean, he wrote Mrs. Robinson for this, but I think that was the only song he wrote for this. And so, like, part of it is also, like, I know too much, like, uh, Sound of Silence (laughs) is written about his bathroom, and so having him open the movie with that, I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, there's just, so they also wrote, I think Paul Simon, I don't know if uh, Garfunkel did as well, but I'm pretty sure they wrote the instrumental pieces, and so if you look at, like, the graduate soundtrack, there's, like, a bunch of, like, swanky tunes that they also wrote, and those fit Mm. the movie, but their actual, like, tunes don't, and maybe it's because they were already popular, by the well, time, I don't know. They th- those songs I feel like belong in like a gloomier movie. Yes. Or one that's like a young. I don't know. Just not this movie. <laughs> well, it's weird because it's like they only use like three songs, right? Yeah. So it's like "Sound of Silence," "Mrs. Robinson," and then um, I can't remember the name of. Scarborough Fair. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which um, that one is the most not fitting. Especially when, like, he goes to, yeah. like, with Elaine to the zoo. And yeah. And like, walks away with the guy. And it just starts playing Scarborough Fair. I was like, this is not, we don't need this right now. Like, this is so unrelated <laughs> to the action. Even if the same exact story took place in England, it would fit better than Los Angeles, I think was another mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Because Scarborough just, yeah. Fair, I'm pretty sure, is like an English folk tune. Mm-hmm. I'm just, yep. I just annoyed about spices. me. <laughs> I was going to say, what? No. And he's like, yeah, there's like, it's very you clear. You parsley, there's... sage, rosemary, and thyme. Yeah. yeah. Just like listing off plants. <laughs> That's What's well, so weird song. because. Is it? Yeah. What? Is it? I'm pretty sure it is. This is going to be embarrassing if I'm wrong. I mean, yeah, I just remember Unless they being just in that renamed it. I don't know. I mean, I th- but I remember being in a class and people specifically calling out that song as being, like, annoying because it didn't fit. Oh, it's the name just, of like, the album. And just, like, repetitive. Okay. I was going to say, I definitely remember the two of their faces with, with that, but I was wrong. It is the name of their album. My sister's going <laughs> to fucking kill me. I knew it. I knew she was. <laughs> yeah. Um... But I agree about the soundtrack. Uh, yeah. Well, it's... I, I mean, obviously, like... 
I really like Simon and Garfunkel. I'm not like I appreciate Paul Simon. I'm nowhere near your level, Tierney, but like I like Simon and Garfunkel quite a bit. Like Bridge Over Troubled Water is a great album that I listen to fairly regularly. So like I was jazzed. I was like, oh, dope. Here's this movie that has some of those songs. And then as I was watching it, I was like, okay, so it really just has a couple songs. And then the one that they wrote for this movie. Okay. <laughs> like, just kind of like, all right, I don't really see why we did this other than like maybe trying to tap into the zeitgeist. But I guess, I don't know, like, how popular were Simon and Garfunkel they were at, pretty that, popular. Like, at that time? Okay. I mean, they were I didn't po- know if this, like, I mean, they were obviously, like, around. I just didn't know if this movie, like, exploded their popularity or not. By the time <laughs> Bridge Over Troubled Water came out, they were, like, hugely popular. Okay. Um, mm. But my, yeah, it's just, it doesn't fit. The tone doesn't fit. The sounds don't fit. And, like, the themes of the story don't fit with the themes of the songs. Whereas if you take Harold and Maude and then the Cat Stevens songs, they fit with sound and with theme. Yeah. And they're just fantastic. <laughs> I also wrote down Harold and Maude in my notes uh, just because I was like, oh, there are a lot of similarities in, like, a disillusioned graduate yeah. being forced to, like, make nice with uh, rich family friends for on behalf of the parents um, and how that related to this movie and I, yeah like the music is a great point too of like that music really made me feel con- like that music helped Harold and Maude land mm-hmm. where I was like oh this, this song means more like knowing that like she wrote it and it's like her little ditty about like living life to the fullest and in this one i'm like i don't exactly know what any of these songs mean in terms of ben in terms even like mrs robinson of like jesus loves you more than you would know yeah it's like i mean she's a villain in this like she is the <clears throat> villain of the movie and i would say ben complex, is i think all everyone kind of is i think mostly mrs robinson though especially watching that opening sequence where like He's saying no a oh, lot. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And she is very much gaslighting him into being like, I'm not hitting on you. I'm not seducing you, but will you, undr- will you unzip my dress? And he's like, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. Like, this would be very bad, uh, you know, if your husband came home. And she's like, I, like, what are you talking about? And just keeps, like, cornering him. Li- I mean, literally cornering him. Uh, and mm-hmm. then... When even though he like instigates the actual affair, like afterward, it's still her who keeps like making it harder for him and saying like, "Don't ever date Elaine. Don't ever do it," and then twists it to make him the villain when it's found out. So it's like, and I mean, Mrs. Robinson is villain because even the final moments where he's like running away with Elaine, she's like, "He's too late." And then, like, trying to stop him and slapping her daughter. And, like, there's no redemptive arc for her almost at all. But there really isn't for any of them. <laughs> right. Well, I feel... Sorry, I, it's interesting because... <clears throat> I think you can... I think you can read this as... Up to a certain point, I think you can read Mrs. Robinson trying to keep Ben away from her daughter... As, like, her just being disillusioned with, like, 
marriage in general. Like, she's been in an unhappy marriage her entire life. And so, like, maybe she's just, like... You can kind of read it as, like, her is... Like, she's trying to do the best for her daughter. Uh But then... when she, like, literally forces her daughter to marry some dude that she was dating for, like, a day. (laughs) The timeline of this movie is insane. It's not quite as insane as um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. (laughs) (laughs) The timeline of this movie is nuts. Because it's, like, it all takes place over the course of a summer and then, like, a month into, like, a year of college or something. I don't know. It's not terribly clear, but it is just kind of, like... Okay, so he... Meets Mrs. Robinson, has a weeks long affair with her. Meet like was it only a week? Weeks, weeks. Long. I don't oh, think it was like a oh. very long time. I think it was just like maybe a month at most. But I think like at one point, okay. one of his parents says something like, um, "Like oh yeah, for the last few weeks you've just been disappearing every night." So it like, oh yeah, it's it's not just a week, but it's not a significant amount of time by any means. Okay. Um. But then, yeah, like, then he goes on one date with Elaine. Yeah. Falls treats in love her with like her. like shit. Oh, which treats just her like treats shit. her like garbage. Like, straight garbage. And then is like, no, 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 I'm sorry that I was rude to you. And then kisses her while she's, like, very much not into it. And then they're, like, enjoying burgers together. It's weird. Yeah. I do. I feel really bad for Elaine in this movie. Like, yeah, just like she's just a pawn in all of their games, and it's so upsetting. And like Ben is just like, "I love you. I'm gonna get married to you." And she's like, "I don't. What? Like, I don't know if that's if that's what I want." So I don't know. Watching it this time, well, first of all, the second half of the script I think is just a mess. Nothing makes sense. But I think this time watching it. There, I got more, I could be wrong, but I got more vibes of Mrs. Robinson hearing that everyone wants to set Elaine and Ben up, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she, like, has feelings for him, and so that's where she's like, don't go near my daughter. And then when he does, she, like, reacts the way that she does. But then I think that he doubles down on it to spite her. I don't think he ever actually loves her. Because if you look at them at the end, that last scene that everyone always talks about, neither of them are happy. <laughs> Which is the scene, that's why they talk about that scene. Because yeah. both of them just look like, okay, now what? Yeah. Like, now like, what are we oh, going to do? Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. We're married now. Although they're not married. Yeah. yeah, they're not married, but yeah. I also forgot that last scene was like, so insane (laughs) for some reason i thought that they just like ran out of the church but i like totally forgot that there were like fights involved i was gonna say i've seen Uh so i'd never seen the movie in full but i had seen the end at some point like i had seen everything up through or i thought that i had seen everything up through ben getting to the church and like pounding on the glass and screaming her name and like, wh- however I watched that, it it was it must have been on some like clip show or something. But however I watched that, they either cut out like the awkward fight scene, or I just totally blanked it from my memory because I thought that I had seen the end of this movie before, and I thought it was like he shows up at the church, yeah, she agrees to go with him, they run out of the church, hop on a bus, and then there's like that just iconic shot at the end, 
And so that's what I thought happened. And then in this, I was like, oh. And when he, like, grabs the cross off the wall and just starts, like, swinging it, I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't remember this being in whatever like version at, of the ending I saw before. <laughs> at that point, the story is, like, fully off the rails. Like, it's been mm-hmm. teetering for a while and then just, like, goes, like, brrr, and then crashes through the forest. Yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I liked this movie quite a bit, but not for story reasons. Like, I thought it was, like, a really well-directed, like, there are a lot, like, Matt, you mentioned, there are just, like, a lot of really interesting choices that Mike Nichols made that I really appreciated. And, like, yes, the Simon and Garfunkel songs don't really match, but also, like, I'm never going to be mad about listening to Simon and Garfunkel, so... You know, like, there's that. But, but yeah, do, it, it is, like, a pretty, like, wild ride. I do think that... Oh, my God. Frog jumped in my throat. I do think that... Uh, oh, my God. He's back. <laughs> the cinematography of this movie is fantastic. Yeah. And the way that shots yeah. are staged is really... And, like, lit is really nice. The zoom out of Mrs. Robinson from, like, that corner when she's like, goodbye, Benjamin, and it, like, does that weird pull pull out uh, is one that's, like, very uh, bizarre for the time, or maybe fitting for the time, because I do feel like a lot of these 70s movies were making, like, choices like that, of, like, weird zooms or weird pans. Um, The opening shot of Ben leaving the airport, and actually the pull out from him in the seat... Uh, is very similar to Mrs. Robinson in that hallway. But uh, when he's on that uh, moving walkway, it's the same opening shot as Jackie Brown. Yep. So, but like, Jackie Brown's really cool is be like, way better. Well, yeah, exactly. The song fits more, and it's visually more interesting. <laughs> the character is like a more interesting character right off the bat uh, than like Ben, who's just like a guy. He's just, just like... Yeah. Did you guys ever, probably not, but did you ever read the Georgia Nicholson books? The first one is like Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging and the Bright Side Moon. Okay. Absolutely well, not. <laughs> there's a, they have like little dictionaries because they take place in, in Britain. They have little like dictionaries in the back of the book to like say what things mean because she also makes up words with her friends. And they describe people, for some reason I feel like there's a girl named Lindsay that they always describe as wet. So it's like, ugh, wet Lindsay. And I remember Kirk. <laughs> If I remember correctly, it's just like a meh of a person. And it, all that came to mind was like, God, dust it off and it's just like wet. <laughs> it's just it's like, always sweaty. There's just nothing there. <laughs> I feel like Ben yeah. Braddock is a husk of a human. And so that makes the things that he does like malicious. I don't know what. Yeah, I mean. I. I watched this with my boyfriend, and he pointed out that, like, the movie doesn't complete what it sets out at the beginning to do. Which is, Ben Braddock is in a crisis of his future. Which, like, to some degree, that's what that final shot of him with Elaine and both of them looking like, okay, now what? Is kind of, is that idea now explored with, like, this decision that they've made to, like, blow up their lives? Uh, but the idea of, like, what is he gonna do 
isn't really explored as soon as that affair starts because then the movie is just about that affair and about his relationship to Elaine, which both are like not very built on more than just the like complication of those relationships. <clears throat> and so like we do kind of lose like what is Ben's thing? What is he doing besides like that these affairs are the most interesting thing to happen to him post graduation? And and what else? Like, what else is his life? Who else is he as a character besides a panic attack? Or yeah, at think... least give him, like, a job. Because I feel like those things... Like, there are plenty of people in the world who, like, don't know what they're doing. And then just, like... I don't know. As I'm saying this, I realize it sounds really, like, condescending. But who just, like... Uh, like pour themselves into like one thing like one basically just go one thing to the next and so yeah. like if he but that this but then it's like just give him a job like make him work at a bank and then have these be the things that are like keep but right now he's just like completely driftless drift yeah i don't i can't talk today guys i'm tired <laughs> I, I get it i i do think it's interesting because like it you feel like he has just lived his entire life based on what his parents expected of him, right? You mean Mr. Feeney? <laughs> yeah, yes, Mr. Feeney. Which, like, I saw, his, I saw his name pop up in the opening credits, and I was like, oh, fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I heard his voice first and was like, is that Mr. Feeney? And then I saw his face, and I was like, that's Mr. Feeney. That's fucking this Mr. <laughs> and this is like 1776 era Mr. Feeney. Oh yeah, this is like old school Mr. Feeney. Which, by the way, uh, he just, I think he just turned 94 the other day. Whoa. Bless him. Um, I, I just A wanted contemporary to... contemporary with Robert Duvall and I was gonna say, really just wanted to keep our trend of talking about old ass actors. 94 is going. old. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't think he's like actively working anymore, but I think he's... Just like living his actively life. Actively old. <laughs> He's just actively old. Yeah. Um, but no, like you can tell that like his whole life has just been like, like his parents have got like basically you're okay here. You're gonna do this thing. You're gonna do this thing. And so like I think it's it's definitely relatable. I think he's a relatable character at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. Like he loses a lot of that. Um as the rest of the movie goes on and it never really follows through with that premise. But I do think like at the beginning, it's very relatable to be like, okay, this kid just was like told, here's what he's going to do his whole life. And now he's got to the end point and he's just like, well, what the fuck do I do now? Um, and I think like, I think the way Dustin Hoffman plays that is really, I think he does a really good job with that part of it. Um, but I also think like you can see him evolve a little bit throughout the course of the movie. I, I agree with you, Matt, but it doesn't like, it doesn't like live up to the premise, but like in his first few interactions with Mrs. R well, I, so in his first interaction with like that party that his parents throw yeah. and he's just like deeply uncomfortable and like very, very shy and clearly does not want to be there. And then like in his like later interactions, his early interactions with uh, Mrs. Robinson, He's also just very shy and awkward and uncomfortable. And so, like, you do see him gain some confidence over the course of the... Like, the Benjamin that we meet at the beginning of the movie would never, mm -hmm. you know, break up a wedding and, like, run 
you know, into a chapel. Like, so I do think that you get some sort of evolution of his character, but I agree that it's not quite the evolution that was hinted at at the beginning of the movie. If that yeah. makes sense. And I feel like it's a worse <clears throat> version of Ben, which I feel like yeah. in the initial, I think it's interesting to look at what The Graduate was to that generation and what it has be like what it reads as now which like to that generation it was very much about like the sexual revolution and the fact that this like woman this older woman was coming onto this younger man and that like he was having an affair and wanted to be with the daughter but had an affair with the, with the mother and like that was the complication and now it's like he was like a nervous anxiety ridden 20 year old who was, like, preyed upon by this, like, friend of the family and then ended up kind of becoming a pariah himself by, like, going after her daughter after one weird date. Uh, and, like, and she knew that he would slept with her mother and she's still like, okay, maybe I'll marry you. I don't know yet. And then broke up a wedding that was, like, quickly thrown together. And it's like, this isn't a better version of Ben. And I do think, like... Now, I do think that final shot does a lot to make it not a positive outlook on these characters or the lives that they've led. <clears throat> I think it is now, like, these people keep ruining each other's lives because they're bored. Kind of because they're bored and disillusioned with how their lives turned out. Especially Mrs. Robinson, who we, like, learn, like studied art and then got married because she got pregnant and like doesn't feel like she's loved by her husband and like, and, like probably dropped this... out of school yeah like presumably doesn't care about like... art anymore yeah. yeah and now is just like looking for something to keep her excited and to control and i think the way i read it this time and i don't know if i read it this this way the first time i watched it but like i think her problem with him being with elaine is not because like she think not for what they say in the movie which is like are you ashamed of me i'm like i'm only good enough for you i think it's her trying to keep something for herself that is exciting where she feels desired and she doesn't want her daughter to again become the potential that she didn't get to live up to Mm -hmm. um and maybe and maybe it's to keep her daughter from having the same life that she had which is kind of suggested that that might be the way this is going by the end of it yeah but it does more seem like she's trying to keep Ben and this, like, affair just for herself. Just to, like, yeah. have something new and uh, thrilling. And not really thinking about, like, what's best for her daughter. Or the fact that, like, maybe she should have let her daughter meet up with this 20-year-old guy. Considering she's in college and, like, they would have been a nice couple together. Yeah. <laughs> but she, like, <clears throat> kind of blew it up before it could even happen. I think also, you mentioned control. I feel like she could also easily be upset because she no longer has control over Ben and control of the situation. But that's where I'm like, Uh that's such a more interesting story than what this became. Yeah. (laughs) And she, like, disappears for the second half, which I think is part of this, like, weirdness, is that she's the driving force of the action in the first half of the movie. And... I mean, her, like, goodbye, Benjamin, is kind of, like, the the climax of that story. And then this, the second <clears> half feels like, and then. Like, a, like a, a second episode. When it's like, no, but Mrs. Robinson should still be a part of this narrative. Like, 
even the fact that like we find out that she claims that Ben raped her to the family and that Ben has to like tell the daughter his truth that like that's not how it happened and she's just like okay now that you told me I'll believe you I guess which is like it's weird that we don't get to see Mrs. Robinson commit to that it's weird that the next time we see Mrs. Robinson she like calls the police which is a fun scene when she's like are you armed he's not armed uh like oh I guess you won't have time for that drink after all which are like really fun good villainous lines that are like very juicy for Anne Bancroft to just like sell um and I do think the acting of this movie is very good um she is great in this movie yeah yeah she is so good in this movie I was like I don't really have any familiarity with her um like I don't I can't think of other things yeah I can't think of anything else. I there's I'm sure I probably have seen her at some point or another but this like who's she married this, to I looked this up afterward <clears throat> it's someone like mm. where I saw it and I was like oh oh my god mm. oh she was married to Mel Brooks that's it yeah whoa yeah. oh that, wow is she still married to Mel Brooks uh I mean, no, because she's dead. <laughs> oh, sure, 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 sure. But they were married until she died, so... Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's actually pretty sad. But, uh, but I mean, actually kind of, I guess, beautiful that they were married until she died. I mean, they got married in 1964, and she died in 2005, so, like, they had a good run, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um... um but yeah, but, no, I, I don't really have much familiarity with her. And I like I knew that this was like one of her iconic roles. Um so like I kind of had that knowledge going into it, but I was like okay, I get it. I get why this is her one of her iconic roles. Like, she's so good in this movie. Uh her daughter um <clears throat> is married to that guy who is in Parks and Rec that's like the cowboy looking guy. Sam What? <laughs> Elaine. I know, but oh, who, who is this person? Oh, let me... cowboy-looking guy. His name is like Sam something. Oh, oh, Sam, Sam Elliott. Yeah. Sam Elliott was in yeah, like Mary? was yeah. in like five episodes of Parks and Recreation. <laughs> Sam Elliott, who was in A Star Is Born and The Big Lebowski, and I didn't many see. Westerns. I didn't see A Star Is Born. <laughs> He is the cowboy-looking guy, though, and if you... You're, you're not wrong, but yeah. The first person I would think of when you say cowboy-looking guy is it Sam Elliott. Um, but that's interesting that they're married. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. The landlord I thought was funny, too. Mr. Roper? Like, I don't like you. Yeah, Mr. Roper. Which, when I saw Norman Fell in the opening credits, I was like, who is Norman Fell? And then I saw Mr. Feeney, and I was like, is Mr. Feeney Norman Fell? And then I saw Mr. Roper, and I was like, Mr. Roper is Norman Fell. That's who he is. And he's uh, typecast as a landlord again. Exactly. As a, like, nervous, suspicious landlord. Who, yeah. I just, I just don't like you. Um, you're not one of those outside instigators, are you? Um, <laughs> and just, like, his herd of boys that are like, what's going on up here? Is everyone okay? Should I call the cops? Uh was funny too the um, the scream reactions in this movie were out of control <laughs> like yeah i think 
when Elaine screams in Ben's like room, that at least like makes sense. Like I could I'm, I could understand her reacting to all of that information that she gets in that sequence with just like a un, like just a I. I don't know how to process this information, so I'm just going to yell at the top of my lungs. Like, that at least, like, checks out. It mm-hmm. it was aggressive, but I was like, okay, I can at least get this. When Ben tells his parents that he's going to marry Elaine, and his mom is just like, ah! I was like, Crazy. what the fuck? Like, that is unreal. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird that they went on one date, and everyone is like, that makes sense that you would want to marry her. Like, but maybe that was just of the time. Mm. But the, and I guess they didn't really realize that she and he had only had one singular, weird, complicated date uh, where he, like, brings her to a strip club. <laughs> and then is like, I'm sorry, you want to get burgers? And then go to get a drink at a place uh, where everyone knows me. <laughs> As uh, someone else, everyone knows me by yeah. an alias. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Braddock. Um, yeah. Gladstone. Mr. Gladstone. Good to see you, Mr. Gladstone. And then the one old lady that's like, Hello, Mr. Braddock. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think that I really do have a problem with timelines in movies, is what I'm realizing. Because <laughs> it's hard to think these characters are doing anything that makes logical sense when it is, like, a day turnaround, or a single date, or, like, um, I mean, I, I think a month-long affair is enough to, like, set off a lot of complications. Uh, that, I don't think there was a problem with, like, how much drama that caused. But literally going on one date and him being like, I love you, I want to marry you, is like, what? <laughs> yeah. Also, after all this, like, stay out of her life. You shouldn't be involved with her. That's, like, it. he, I think you made an interesting point earlier when you were like, that's not a, a better version of Ben, because he's just, yeah. like, like, legit stalking her. Yeah. Like, yeah. just, and like, then, straight like, up stalking her. Like, there are sequence, like, there's a shot where he's literally, like, behind some bushes. <laughs> just, yeah. like, the most peeping Tom you could possibly be. And, and it, like... And then he, like, follows her to school and just, like, sits around and waits for her. And, like, there's, like, a couple different sequences of him where he's just, like, observing her before he finally decides to go catch up with her on the bus. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. And I, I, like, very much do not like this. And you can understand why, like, the story, I mean, you could understand even if her mom, or even if her mom didn't lie about the situation, um... I could, you could see her being uncomfortable and not really wanting to associate with him. But then when you get the extra piece of information, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I do get this. But it's still just like, I mean, imagine why is he you... still creeping on her always? Yeah. <clears throat> and, like, there was that sequence where he's, like, walking her to class and just, like, pestering her about getting married. And she's like, I don't think it'll work. And he's like, why not? And then the bell rings and she goes to class. And then it cuts to... Like, Mm -hmm. him standing in front of the door, but, like, from a different angle, and the bell rings again, and he's just been, like, waiting outside the door for a probably hour-long college lecture. (laughs) It's like, fucking yikes, dude. Like, calm down. Get a life. (laughs) I mean, imagine if you went on one date with someone, and then 
all of this happened. Yeah. Found out that he had sex with your mom. No, and just then even that hear aside. From your mom. Just that aside is too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was, yeah. And that's, and that's the point. I think a more interesting version of the movie, and I think would have made it more complicated and more realistic for the fact that any of what happens in the second half of the movie happens, is if Elaine continued pursuing Ben, yes. even though he was like, I really shouldn't be talking to you. And she's like, I need to know what happened because you presented an entirely different story than what my mom presented. And I, and I think the big thing that's really missing in this movie, and that's the thing that I keep forgetting to bring up, is what is the relationship between Elaine and Mrs. Robinson? It seems like we never really see them interact. I think more scenes of like, what is the, what is the mirror of Ben and his parents with the Robinsons of like, is Elaine feeling very controlled and pushed and like being uh, forced to do things that she doesn't want to do by her parents and then finds out that her mom sleeps with this like friend of the family's kid how does that then push her into trajectory where she makes bad decisions like she does in the end of going with Ben and breaking off this marriage or going along with the marriage at all of like a lady like you said is just a pawn and I think that's because that's all the writing gives her is that she's like she is the daughter of Mrs. Robinson and she is the love interest of Ben but as an entity on her own what is her motivation why does she do any of this why is she okay with Ben following her around? Why does she like him when all she really knows of him is that he lied for half a day and made her feel uncomfortable, then, like, kind of still lied by being like, it was with a married woman and her, she had a husband and son. <laughs> and then, like, to find out, like, no, it was your mom, actually. And that's enough for her to be like, what are you doing in Berkeley? I don't want to be around you. And then be like, okay, I'm going to come over to your apartment because I want to know, like, what are you doing here? I am maybe still interested. It's like, what? who is Elaine? Who is this character? Why would she <clears throat> do any of this? I think that's what's missing. And uh, is this based on anything? Or is this an original screenplay? It's based on a novel. Hmm. I wonder what the novel has. Because the novel certainly isn't an hour and 45 minutes worth of material. <laughs> So, um, it's based on the 1963 novel of the same name by Charles Webb, who wrote it shortly after graduating from college. Sounds like he just wanted to... Yeah. <laughs> ...family friend, mom. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I was going to say, I can see but why... Probably ended up being with the daughter or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can see why some of the... Like, why... Yeah, like Tierney, your to your point, like Mrs. Robinson's a more interesting character, but that's not what we get. And Matt, to your point, like we get nothing of Elaine, basically. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> uh, but I think that all checks out given the context of where this story came from, which was yep. a recent college graduate dude who clearly was just having a fantasy about <laughs> a family friend's like wife or something i don't know yeah of sleeping with both the mom and yeah <laughs> just like <laughs> and being like that'd be cool how, Especially how dope I don't would that be a job. <laughs> yeah i don't want to think about jobs i just want to think about fucking <laughs> basically that line from Step Brothers. she's had the old bull and well, yeah now, she, now, now she, she wants the young kid wants the yeah <laughs> and she touches my <laughs> There's a bead of sweat going from my 
<laughs> chest pubes down, down to my down ball, ball fro. Yeah. She grabs me by the wiener. Dale, shut the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Step Brothers is a more interesting version of The Graduate, is what we've come to decide. Um, but I do think, like, I think it is kind of like, maybe we do miss a lot of the, like, character building of the book. Because in this case, it is, like, people making pretty, like, uh, illogical decisions based on, like, not a lot more than, like, they must for the story of like elaine decides to do all the stuff that she does the wedding happens because they're like you need to get married tomorrow and the family of the guy is like sounds good let's like make it happen uh and uh, okay we'll like move on to some other stuff too but i don't have anything more to say about this movie (laughs) i do kind of feel like it's really straightforward in a way that's like not super interesting i think I, and interesting is like i think there's a lot of interest in it of like hmm that's interesting uh but i don't think like the message is anything besides like you're disillusioned at the start and you're probably going to be disillusioned later but like yeah they don't end any better than they started in fact they end worse like the robinsons are getting divorced ben has now taken away elaine away from the wedding that was just completed like mrs robinson says like he's too late and so that means like she's married she's gonna have to get a divorce now and like they don't really have a plan and i don't really know what the plan is and she's not even graduated yet she's not a graduate yeah well and also like ben has like fully alienated himself from his parents at this point like not necessarily because of anything he did but he just like hasn't spoken to them presumably in several weeks at minimum it's just like uh, yeah i don't know i yeah i think it's i do think it's an interesting movie and i um but i again i think a lot of what i'm gonna take away from this is more like filmmaking yeah than like a connection to a story or connection to any characters yeah, which filmmaking wise, the sequence of his affair with Mrs. Robinson, incredible. And, like, what his summer is, which it, is just like going to the pool, sleeping with her, going to the pool, sleeping with her, and like all the transition cuts of like, and the big like the big one that I think people probably talk about to like put a point on that sequence is him getting onto the floaty raft and having that be him like thrusting into Mrs. Robinson and like being in bed with her. Um, but that whole sequence was, like, very well made and, like, a montage that did a lot of work for the plot and the time frame to be, like, this is just happening every day. He's walking from one room with a shirt on and into the next room and it's taken off. Like, yeah. Yeah, I because I, I thought that, see, that whole montage was fantastic. And I remember the first moment that I thought was when he, like, is on the little floaty, gets out of the pool... And doesn't like dry himself off, but just immediately puts down, puts on a collared shirt. And I was like, mm-hmm. yo, when I am swimming or in a lake or whatever, I try and have my body as dry as possible before I put on any sort of clothing. And usually yeah. if I'm swimming, the clothing that I put on is like a t-shirt. <laughs> so I, was, yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking it was like very weird that he's just like, well, I'm just going to get dressed in a, like a nice little Oxford. <laughs> and then when that like cuts to him like being in the hotel room with the oxford like still unbuttoned i was like oh i see what they're doing here 
Uh, and I, I thought that was really, really, really well done. I also, the, the way that opening like party sequence was shot was incredible. Mm. Um, because like when he finally, when his dad, like when Mr. Feeney gets him out of the room and like down to the party, like it's just shot like handheld, really tight, like, um, framing and it's like he's always there, but he, he's like you can always just like like watching that sequence made me feel as uncomfortable as he felt living that sequence, um, and I thought that like all of that was just like how how they shot that sequence. I was just like, oh my god, this is this is yeah. great, this is fantastic. Um, Being bombarded at every just corner. totally and like. There's like he's just standing there talking to somebody, and so it's like just his face and somebody else's face on the screen. But then all of a sudden, you just see somebody behind him, and then he turns around, and then it's just like, oh my god, there's another person there. And then the guy's like, I want to say something to you. I just want to say one word. Are you listening? Just one word. Plastics. <laughs> and Ben's just like, How do you mean? I, I, yeah. <laughs> How do you mean, sir? There's a... Uh, It's so good. Like, I don't know if it was, like, referencing this movie in other movies or what, but it was basically, like, right around the time this movie came out, investing in plastics became hugely profitable. Oh, interesting. And they were like, we don't know if it's because of the movie or, like, just the way that things were going. Because if you, and then if you look at the movie, there's not, like, plastic things don't really exist. Whereas now, it's almost impossible to find things without plastic. Yeah. Interesting. I remember in the film class that I watched this in, I'm pretty sure it was a film class, uh, what the discussion, too, was that plastics refers to the families that Mm. his parents are part of, that, like, Mm. this entire society are plastic people that are, like, false and fake and empty and lifeless and like that that character is the one who's like plastics <laughs> and having that be like what are you talking about uh and th- i think like that does come across of how lifeless this uh, family oh my god and family friends are of like making him get in a scuba outfit and everyone like cheering him on and like being psyched about the scuba outfit and then being like, get in the pool, and like shoving his face back into the pool to be like, keep going. <laughs> like his parents aren't likable; they're no. nowhere close to Tucci uh, Clarkson. Oh. They're not even not even in the same atmosphere <laughs> as Stanley Tucci, Patricia Clarkson, and Easy A. Uh, but like nobody really like the Robinsons seem pretty fucked up, and I think that's like the thing is that Elaine is just this like angel of a person for reasons just because she has to be like there really isn't that much depth given to her character besides she's like i can eat a burger and i can have fun uh but like how fucked up would the daughter of like mr robinson and mrs robinson be when they're pretty fucked up i mean like the way mrs robinson like gets him upstairs the first time is like do you want to see elaine's new portrait Mm -hmm. and then there's like a whole shrine to her in her own bedroom (laughs) with a fucking like hand-painted portrait of her like in the middle so fucked up like she has she would have to be the most fucked up person like growing up in that environment i can't imagine yeah Yeah. 
And even the dad... That's a, that's even a thing that's not really explored. I mean, besides that, like, Mrs. Robinson is not very happy. But, like, her husband left her at a party and took the car, came back drunk. With golf clubs. With golf clubs. <laughs> and then is like, oh, yeah, I have a nightcap with me. Like, and then shows up at his apartment and, like, keeps making him the problem where he's like, what, do you think I'm stupid? You don't have respect me? Uh, don't raise your voice at me. I'm talking about, I'm talking to you very calmly. And, like, everything that he's saying is what he's doing himself. But, like, Mr. Robinson's, a, like, a fuck. Mrs. Robinson's a fuck. And then Elaine is just, like, sweet angel baby Berkeley. Uh, <laughs> baby Berkeley? Baby Berkeley. <laughs> but, and then the last line of where the mom is like, it's too late, Elaine! And she's like, not for me! Is like, I mean... Kind of. Like, you grew up in this family, it's kind of too late. Yeah. Part of this. Which I do think that bus shot is important for the context of the movie to say, like, they're no better because they did these bold things and, like, were nonconformists to what their parents wanted. (laughs) They're kind of just conforming to... They're just going to be doing the same shit, probably. They're, like, too stuck in these tracks to be anything different. Because they don't look happy about their decisions now. And it's kind of like, well, we don't have a plan for this. So we're probably just going to end up in the same place. Yeah, I think... I I mean... I think it's... Obviously, the ending is great. Because mm-hmm. everybody... I mean, like, it's understood that this movie has a great ending. But I think I was... I As I was watching it, it reminded me... When you watched Casablanca, finally. And you were you had mentioned that, like that was one where it's like you had heard so much, but it actually like lived up to it. Like it actually felt like you could, like you could see why it had so much hype. And I felt like that that's even again, even though I had already seen some iteration of the ending before, um, I still felt like it was a really powerful ending to this movie. Uh Even after all these years of just knowing about it and having sort of seen it once, I was still just like, damn, that's a really good fucking ending. <laughs> like, it's a really good final shot. Um, you guys probably won't find this that surprising that I don't. I was gonna say. <laughs> I don't think it lived Expound. up to... Huh? Expound on that. I don't think it lived up to expectations. I think it's, like, really only, like... They do a bit of looking at each other. But it's really only the last, like, second and a half that they're both not smiling. Where it's like, I mean, you might as well just watch the Kiwi music video by Harry Styles for his little smirk at the end and call it the same thing. (laughs) And I just feel like it doesn't earn it because nothing is, like, because it goes off the rails so much that by the time you get to that point, it's like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? And that's where I'm like, I don't have time for this. I do think, like, the acting of the of that moment has them going up and down in their confidence that this was the right thing to Absolutely, do. Absolutely, yeah. Like, they're smiling, and then they're, like, and separately they're reacting. And I think that's the key, is yeah. that they're separately emoting to what they're realizing their decision is. And, like, she kind of realizes it first and is kind of like, mm-mm, I don't know if I like this. While he's still smirking, but then his smirk fades, and she looks at him kind of like, 
do you what is the plan now like what are we gonna do and then by the end they're both like uh oh but I do think there's a moment where both of them are separately like wow how crazy wow that was crazy uh oh well I mean it was still thrilling oh boy and that's watching both of their faces separately like go through this wave is like interesting to watch as acting uh, the thing that's more interesting about that though is less that it's <clears> less <throat> for me like I don't know I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it but the thing that's I guess I could say the thing that's interesting to me is that like I don't know no matter like how long you know someone for or um, like I don't know you're never going to know exactly what's going through their head at any given time. And so, like, mm-hmm. even if, like, we were all to go on a roller coaster, we'd have three different, like, experiences with it. And so the thing that's more interesting to me is just the two different experiences versus them both dawning at the same time. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. <laughs> I, realized, yeah. I realized, I think it was, I was, like, I don't know, a teenager, and I was, like, my parents have been in my life for 100% of my life. But I have only been in their life for like 20 to 30%. And I was like, even if they told me everything from now until the day they die, I will never know everything that happened in their life. And I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And even if, even if like, I don't know, you meet somebody and you spend loads of time talking about all the things that happened to you, you're still never going to know all the things that happened to them. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can't really know somebody fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what. Because you're, you're only living your own life experience. Yeah, and no one is ever going to know, like, what's going on in my brain unless I put that into words or let it show on my face. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. They say, I learned in a linguistics class that... Uh, Language is actually an act of translation. Just be like us oh. talking right now is an act of translation. Yeah. Interesting. Which I think uh, this is like a, a totally different subject, kind of. But <clears throat> the idea of like verbal thinkers and nonverbal thinkers, which last year there was like something that came out where it's like some people don't think in words. And some people like, don't have what? internal monologues. Yeah. And then. It was revealed that Colin is a nonverbal thinker, and I was like, does that mean that, like, internal monologues in movies where they're like, my name is Fred, I always grew up in Brooklyn, and my mom always made spaghetti, uh, where they're like, or, I mean, not really necessarily that kind of narration, but like, oh god, they're probably thinking that I'm like, that I'm too loud, oh, I better quiet down, oh, everyone's looking at me, like, that internal monologue, I was like, does that not read as true to you, Colin? And he was like, no. Okay, so so here's my question, Colin. (laughs) If you if you were to like do any one of the many embarrassing things that I've done, what would go on in your brain? Like, what would that the following seconds look like? So it's usually just like replaying the scene. So there's not like a a, silence. Well, no, I mean, oh, like, no. replaying the entire, like, yeah, oh, so okay. I think, so that was one thing, um, I, I, I can 
like make my brain say things like in words, right? Mm-hmm. But like I don't have like it's just not like constantly happening. Like I have to make a conscious effort to like to do that. So like when I replay the scene, it's not like it's total silence. I'm replaying like it's basically like I recorded it like some somehow in my brain there's like a recording of this sequence. And then it just is on a loop in my brain. But there's not, like, a voiceover that's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you did that. That's so embarrassing. What the fuck? It's just, like, me reliving that moment over and over and over. Basically, you get to, like, watch the movie, and everyone else who's a verbal thinker gets to watch the movie with a commentary track that only they're recording, which is like, okay, and see, in this instance, uh, I was very embarrassed, and I couldn't believe this happened to me. Okay. Uh, Yep, and I look like an idiot. I look like an idiot there. I have another question. Um, so for me, anxiety is like not only a physical feeling in my body um, of just like being anxious. I don't know how else to describe it. Being wired, yeah. basically. But on top of that physical feeling, it is nonstop chatter uh-huh. about everything terrible that could happen. <laughs> everything terrible all the things to worry about what is it like for you if you it's don't just mind the, it's just it's just, just the, the feeling, feeling? Yeah. oh that's so scary <laughs> <laughs> but i think like and i think that was cuz matt and i talked about it cuz when he when i mentioned to him that i didn't have an internal monologue i think i broke him for a little while <laughs> he was just like yeah. what <laughs> how but i think a lot of how i process things is just feelings based so, like, there isn't, like, there's no, like, dialogue happening, like, with actual, like, words being spoken. Um, it's just, like, a, this feels one way or this feels a different way. So, like, that, that set, like, I do experience a sense of anxiety, but it's not, like, a voice is saying, like, oh, my God. You know, like, last year was a perfect example. Like, anytime, I, you know, before we knew a little bit about the disease and, like, knew that we could like go outside and like you know be safe um like i like i would go for a walk and like if somebody came too close to me there wasn't like a voice in my head that was like oh my god why is that person walking too close to me yeah like i didn't get that i just like had a feeling of like i am uncomfortable and so like it it was just like uh yeah it's it's all it's feelings based i don't know if this is like a grass is greener thing but i feel like it'd be a lot easier to suss out what is actually making you anxious when you're not having to like weed whack through <laughs> like yeah. thickets of words that are usually like not even related yeah. <laughs> we're just like oh but what about this what about this did you think about this and then it's like i'm hungry <laughs> or, i like, feel hunger yeah. yeah i mean that's like a pretty like a nice feeling of anxiety versus most of the time it's more complicated and all yeah. that but i feel like yeah. not because the the words component is often like not matched <laughs> except yeah. for like well, someone th- coming toward you and then it's like the fuck are you doing yeah but i do think it, it, like obviously like i'm no psychologist but i do like in my experience with other people i do think that like having having that internal monologue just like 
increases the anxiety. Like, you have the anxiety about the thing that's happening. But then you have the anxiety about, like, all the other things that are happening. (laughs) Which is why, like, again, I I do feel, like, I do feel anxiety. But I've never felt like it's, like, crippling. Um, (laughs) Which I know some people, some people do. And that is a very real thing. And, um, you know, everybody... All of everybody's experiences with that are valid. I'm not trying to display any or like displace anybody's or saying anything like that, but I personally have never felt that. And I do think at least a small part of that is just due to the fact that I don't have that like internal dialogue that's just always happening and potentially making things spiral out of control. Yeah. Right. And this is all to get back to the point that <laughs> Jerry just laughed. <laughs> yeah. But I think this gets back to the point that language is translation. That like we're not thinking in terms of essays. Not everybody at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like some people are translating from images and feelings. Some people are translating from internal monologues refined to whatever they're gonna say. Um, and so that's an interesting concept that language itself is a translation of thoughts because that's exactly what it is. Because language itself doesn't live without thoughts. Mm-hmm. There is no, you know, when people started talking, that's when stuff started getting recorded. And even then, for years and years and years, it was an oral tradition. Right. I don't know. What but you also to have anything, to but... say it so that, like, you can understand what I'm thinking in my brain. So I have to pick words to right. go with what I'm thinking so that mm-hmm. you can take that and make you think similar like topics obviously have your own opinions but just like bring you to that topic do you guys like when i do this with my fingers yeah that's nice (laughs) the the listeners especially love it because they know exactly what you're doing as always i'm making my hands into no 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 no. i don't think we should explain it to them i think they should just hear do you like when i do this with my fingers and let their imaginations run wild it's a shadow puppet bunny (laughs) should we go on to the categories yeah um i don't know what i would get as a tattoo of this movie i mean the sock I was gonna say, I think like the iconic shot, right? Like with mm-hmm. like her leg and him just standing in the background, um, like another shot that just like seen it a hundred times in my life before watching this movie, and it was still just like really dope to see it. You could get um, the scuba outfit. The scuba outfit mm-hmm. is ridiculous. <laughs> like when he's when hot. he's walking, <laughs> he's like, which I've been scuba diving before so like that is a relatable like that is how you have to walk if you're wearing flippers but it's also like maybe wait until you're a little closer to the pool to put the flippers on like if you got the rest of the stuff going on whatever but like he just looks like he'd be sweating bullets oh yeah especially like in southern california my god (laughs) yeah and i think that also like i saw some influences on like garden state with Mm -hmm. that like kind of like Wearing a wallpaper shirt or, like, how composed a lot of the shots in Garden State are to kind of, like, communicate this, like, absurdity and mundanity. Mundanity? Mundanity. Mundaneness? Anyway. Sure. Uh, (laughs) But the fact of, like, this, like, scuba outfit is so ridiculous, but everyone is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, somebody dressed as a knight in Garden State. So I was like, I don't know, there's, like, some similarities in, like, disillusioned graduates returning home and being like what do i do now what's the point of any of this so to bring it full circle 
that was actually why my friend recommended this movie to me is because I had specifically mentioned how much I liked Garden State. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that too um, <clears throat> as I was watching it, but yeah. Also bus, uh, the final bus shot of like the yellow back driving away. That would mm-hmm. be an interesting tattoo. Yeah. And, like their little silhouettes in the back windows. Yeah. Um, would you guys spend time on this film set? I think Probably. so. Probably. I think I would. It's a good cast. Yeah. So warm. I was gonna location. say the cast is great. Hard to argue with, like, yeah, Southern California and like everybody's house just has a pool. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Apparently, there was some weirdness on the set though. Dustin Hoffman pinched the butt of the actress who played Elaine oh. to like loosen up the vibe. I don't like him. Sh- I've held it in this whole podcast, <laughs> but I just don't like him. There's yeah. something like in about him that in this role or like just in general. I don't think I've okay. ever seen him in anything where I've been like, "What a great performance!" I've always been like, he, "Like he just seems like, like, like squirrely and dishonest." It's my vibe of Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think these stories doesn't sound like a great guy. But, and like apparently he like touched. I guess it's in the movie, but he like was told by Mike Nichols to touch. Uh, and Bancroft's boob when they're first like oh my god that scene was so funny when she's like getting dressed and he just like puts his hand there (laughs) like I was like I I, like okay sorry finish what you were gonna say but no apparently she did not know that was coming and was like very not into it and was like what are you doing but was but Mike Nichols like directed Dustin Hoffman to do that so then later when they're in bed and she like scratches Ben that was also not in the script so like would I want to spend time on this set? It seems like there was a lot of, like, tense, uncomfortable shit happening. And so for those reasons, <laughs> probably not. But the locations and the houses and, you know, the overall, like, uh, feeling of the movie, that would be interesting to see. But it does seem like the set was kind of riddled with uh, issues. Interesting. Because I was... As you were saying that, I was thinking that that's where it was going to go, was that she didn't know that that was going to happen. I assumed that that was, like, planned. Uh, And I was like, oh, that's just, like, such a perfect little thing to, like, drive the point home that this guy has absolutely no idea what he's doing with with somebody that he's, like, sexually attracted to. He's just like, "Uh, do I just put my hand here, like, over your bra and just kind of, like let it sit here for a little while. Is that what I do? <laughs> I just, yeah. I thought that was really funny. Less funny now, obviously. <laughs> right. And it just, I think that like drives home a lot of these seventies <clears throat> and eighties movies that you hear about in post that these like sexual revolution movies had a yeah. lot of these moments. Like last Tango in Paris had a bunch of fucking problems with consent. And this movie has these issues. And like, you could just communicate to the actors what you want and then let them decide if it's something they're comfortable with. And I think like, I hope more movies now are, like, on that track of just being, like, let's make sure everyone is aware of what's going on instead of these, like, tricks that directors pulled to be, like, I want a really authentic reaction to this, like, uh, very non-consensual touch. And she's a woman, so she couldn't possibly do that on her own. Right. Yeah. She couldn't (laughs) react in a way that would be... That's what I'm saying. She couldn't possibly act authentically. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I will... I mean, like, sex coordinators are, like, a pretty common thing in 
movie and TV production these days. So, like, I do think that, to your point, Matt, I, I do think that it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's still problematic, but I would imagine it's significantly less so now. More um, discussions, <clears throat> it seems, yeah. Yeah, but. Um, would you guys watch this on an airplane? Uh, not unless I was looking to sleep. i don't think i care enough about this movie that's what i'm saying and uh yeah and as far as like the way we've talked about in other times of like would there be anything embarrassing in it i think so i think this would be a weird one to have playing with somebody right next to you uh i think it's a recognizable enough movie that they'd be like oh that's the graduate where they wouldn't be like what is this pornography um but yeah i also don't think that this is not that graphic it's I know. It's not. It's rated PG, which I think I mean, is shocking. I but then I once Bridesmaids yeah. on and forgot what the opening scene was. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, that didn't get as many stares as the time I watched Life of Brian on a plane. Oh, a lot that of people were confused. <laughs> oh, actually, that's not that weird. Monty Python's weird, <laughs> so like yeah. I can see people being like, "What the fuck?" Also, but like, like a very Jesus different times. "What the fuck?" Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but it's it's rated PG, so that like it came out before PG thirteen existed. I feel like it definitely would be a PG thirteen now, but or an uh, R. I feel like this would also like prop. I think with more of what it already has, I think it would be an R. Yeah, um, if they like really amped up the affair and the uh, what people would actually talk like with yeah. like swears and everything. But yeah, I'd but say I, it's at least a PG-13 by today's standards. I do think that the movie that we got, it's interesting that they never actually show her, like, completely naked. Like, I, I yeah. like I, I like the way that they shot that, where it's just, like, it's mostly... She's either, like, in frame, but you can only see her, like, from, like, the neck up because of where Ben is standing and where the camera's placed. Or there's just those, like, very quick snapshots, mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought that was, like pretty tastefully done considering this movie came out in the 60s when many things were not tastefully done like spartacus came out a few years later and it was just like let's just show an orgy yeah show it all (laughs) that was rated x so like that was about as yeah severe as you can get um one other quick shout out uh i just want to my guy murray hamilton played mr robinson Fucking love that guy. He's the mayor from from Jaws. Just great shit. (laughs) I fucking love mayor. Lots of Jaws shout outs uh, in the past few weeks. He's such a piece of shit in Jaws. Those Uh, beaches have to stay open. I was going to say, like, one of the, I mean, one of the criticisms of Jaws has always, well, not, like, major criticisms, but, like, when I talk about Jaws and, like, my friends, it's, like, it's so unrealistic that this mayor would be, like, we can't shut down the whole town because there was one shark, maybe. And then 2020 happened, and I was, like, oh. Like, we're going to okay. watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> Deaths or not. Um, Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what other categories do we have? Um, okay. The Oscars, BB. Right, of course. So, this was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. Um, Anne Bancroft was actress. Catherine Ross, um, Elaine, was Supporting Actress. Uh, Adapted Screenplay and Cinematography. What, any guesses what it won? Cinematography. It did not win Cinematography. It did not win Screenplay. Anne Bancroft. Anne Bancroft? 
Mike Nichols was the only one who got who won best yeah. director. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Fine, whatever. I mean, the acting is good, and the script, like the the cinematic techniques, are interesting. Um, interesting though. Yeah, um, I reckon it's like not unfair. Who yeah, won so the like, cinematography? Um, let's see, cinematography. Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, that's a good one. Interesting. So the nominees that year for Best Picture were In the Heat of the Night, which won Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and then Graduate, obviously. The Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy? Yes, Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittle, was nominated for Best Picture in 1968. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, Sidebar. Repeat those one more time. Okay, so. Repeat those Best Picture nominees. In the Heat of the Night, which won. Okay. Bonnie and Clyde. Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Hmm. So Catherine Hepburn won for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So that's why Anne Bancroft didn't win. Got it. Um, Rod Steger won for In the Heat of the Night. And so that's why Dustin Hoffman didn't win. Hmm. And then Adapted Screenplay also went to In the Heat of the Night. So, I mean, I think it's just like... I haven't seen any of those other movies, but I do think yeah. it's like a, like sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw, <laughs> like, um, and you're just kind of like unlucky. So, yeah. but I do, I like, I think if I were to give this to anyone else, it would be Anne Bancroft. And I do agree the cinematography I did like, but like, those would be my three, but I'm, I'm glad that Mike Nichols won. Cause the direct, again, the directing is or like the, a lot of the technical stuff is what really jumped out to me when I watched mm-hmm. this. But <clears throat> sidebar related to this specific Academy Awards, um, <clears throat> Mark Harris has a book that is on my shelf that I've never read that maybe I will read. Um, but it's all about the like this specific Best Picture race. Um, Interesting. And he just wrote. He just published earlier this year uh, Mike Nichols' biography. Um, and I was listening to a podcast where he was talking about it and he was like, initially hesitant to write the Mike Nichols biography. Like somebody had approached him about doing this and he was initially hesitant because he had already written so much about the graduate in that other book. Um, but then he ended up obviously deciding to write, but yeah, so that's, I'm hoping to, I've heard really good things about that Mike Nichols biography. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that two of those movies are about race in the heat of the night and um guess who's coming to dinner Mm -hmm. this one's about the sexual revolution and like kind of a bold choice for the academy awards to be like yeah tawdry let's do it um (laughs) and then it was bonnie and clyde and dr doolittle (laughs) well i guess Bonnie and Clyde for the hyper violence, which was actually kind of bold for the time, and like there's a there's bit a of whole... like the like sexual repression in that <clears throat> one as well. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that like the graduate and Bonnie and Clyde kind of fall into that like racy and like uh, violent, not violent for both of them, but like this kind of yeah sexual revolution and tension kind of backdrop, and then in the heat of the night and. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is very directly about race. And then uh, coming down the middle, Dr. Doolittle for 
the reasons that it's a nice <laughs> musical, which like very much in line with the Academy Awards. Yeah. Being like, what a nice movie. Let's this one too. Sure, why not? We've got to have five anyway. Throw it in there. Talking animals? Sure. Why not? Oh man. Uh anything else on the graduate? <clears throat> nah. Nah. Uh what have you guys been up to this week? I feel like I didn't do too much. I watch more of that series, The Promised Neverland. It's still pretty twisty, and I'm very interested to get to the end of season one, because season two is already out, and so I'm interested to see where this goes, because every episode is a new, like, wow, what? This is too many twists, but it's good. Um, Watch the horror movie from, like, 2005, Stay Alive. Did you finish it? Uh... I did. Um, It's a fun concept. The dialogue and acting are like pretty rough, but it's it's a horror movie from the two thousands, which is like they were all the same. (laughs) The bar is pretty low. They're all yeah. They're all the same. Like we just have to do this concept, but it's about a video game that's killing people. Um, So it's fun to see like PS two graphics, but they're playing it on like computers with. GameCube controllers, so it was like, of course. really, this exists in its own universe. <laughs> um, but really packed cast of like very recognizable teen uh, actors of the early two thousands. John Foster is the lead. Ben Foster's brother, who's been in stuff on his own. Uh, Samir Armstrong, who was in the OC, is in my it. girl from the OC, Anna. Truly, Anna, <laughs> and it's produced by Mick G. And I was like, of yes, course, Mick G produced this. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, Sophia Bush from One Tree Hill. Hill. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Muniz from <laughs> Malcolm in the Middle. Milo Ventimiglia, who plays Ooh. the Drew Barrymore, uh, character of Scream because he gets killed in the first, in the hook of the movie. Nice. Um, and last but not least, <laughs> our boy Jimmy, what is his name? I can never remember his name, but he's from... Westworld as young man in black. Oh, Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy Simpson. Yeah. Also in it, playing the like stoner doofus, uh, like always saying like the jokes. He's the he's the comic relief. Yeah. Um, but just packed with recognizable teen actors of that era, and I was like, it's weird that I know all of these <laughs> actors. Where like most two thousands horror movies, there's like three of them that never did anything else. And yeah. Like, Where did you go? Um, but it was a fine movie. It was like a fun concept, uh, but ultimately, you know, it's a it's an early two thousands horror movie. Yeah. Um, and what else have I watched? Uh, I think that maybe that's it. Oh, I watched the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh, uh, it's a big it's a big uh, show to watch. It's going to be a lot of seasons, but. The first episode pretty much held up. Like, the jokes were pretty fun, and you can, like, get why people were into it when it first came out. Because it's, like, it's very jokey, but also, like, the lore is already, like, set up to be like, wait, what? Wait, how does this work? What is this world? Um, So probably watching more Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the near future. Dope. I think that's it. Yeah, I could go. Um, I finished watching All Creatures Great and Small. Um, How was it? Would you recommend it? 
it's a nice BBC show. Uh, <laughs> a litter of puppies is born at the end. Um, <gasps> a lot of, Bless. like, uh, will they, won't they love story. You know. Classic, classic BBC period piece. <laughs> uh, outfits are still fantastic through to the end. Um, and then I finished reading American Spy and Hungry Road. Um, one thing uh, that I thought of with the Hungry with Hungry Road is uh, I think that's what it's called. It might be called like the Hunger Road. Anyway, yeah. uh, is that even though COVID as a current pandemic is terrible, it is not as bad as typhus or like having to deal with a epidemic on top of a famine (laughs) Uh, and still having like evictions and that sort of stuff. So it was like interesting. I was like, oh, there are parallels. Um, Oh, and then they, uh, they, uh, one of the people go to America in the book and they take like what are called coffin ships. And I was like, oh my God, it's like they have to quarantine at the other end if they have show signs of typhus. And I was like, oh, um, (laughs) And then I started reading A Paragon by Colin McCann, which is for a book club that I am in. And then uh, I also started reading what I, oh God, I've forgotten the title. What I think, what I talk about when I talk about running, I think is the name of it, um, by Haruki Murakami. Um, Oh, Might be mispronouncing that. I hope I'm not. Uh, it's, It's a memoir. Uh, he talks about he runs a lot and so it's like what he thinks about when he's running which is why I can't remember the title (laughs) whether it's what I think about Um, and then I also watched Paddington 1 um, which I haven't seen in a while it's still so good it is there's a lot I didn't realize how much uh, like how many motifs were repeated in Paddington 2 from Paddington 1 yeah um, it Paddington's so weird because the first movie is great and the second movie is somehow better than that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's rare. Which is that, how the reviews were. Yeah, it's the it, reviews I, were like this movie's a hundred percent and then Paddington two came out and they were like, Oh my god, they did it again. <laughs> this movie's a hundred and one percent. Um God bless those movies. I'm so excited that we're getting a third one. Although Paul King is less involved, not involved, so bummed about that but i'll still i'll still watch it with paddington yeah um i have kind of been all over the place this week uh i rewatched the entire monster verse to build myself up to godzilla versus kong (laughs) which is dope (laughs) it's so stupid it's just incredibly stupid but also, like, it's a movie that's literally called Godzilla versus Kong. Like, I don't know what people were thinking. <laughs> like, it's of course it's going to be stupid. It's literally just giant CGI monsters punching each other. Fuck yeah! Like, <laughs> my brother didn't like it, and he didn't. He liked, I think, King of Monsters enough, Oof. and was just kind of like, no, you know, it's fun, and didn't like Kong versus uh, Godzilla. And here's the real trick. I didn't like anything but Kong Skull Island. Skull I Island think... is super dope. It's fun. <laughs> it's but so But I think fun. the first Godzilla is, like, pretty dull. And I think the second Godzilla is total nonsense. Like, yeah. the entire human storyline. I'm like, this is so fucking dumb. And so, I have not watched Godzilla vs. King Kong. I was planning to watch it the night it came out. 
and I am not super compelled to watch it anymore because it sounds like it's the same that I didn't care about, which is, like, the human stories are boring, and I don't want this. I will say that, like, the human stories, like, are stupid, but they're at least... I didn't find them, like, distractingly stupid like I did with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Sure, sure, sure. Like, they're just like, whatever, it's fine. But, like, we all know what we're coming up for. And honestly, like, the final sequence of the movie the final fight sequence of the movie is it looks amazing like it's shot it's like set in hong kong so there's this all sorts of like weird neon lights it happens at night so like the neon really pops and it's like 35 minutes it's like a significant portion of the movie is just the cgi punching that we all want anyway so like i was pretty happy with it and like yeah, these movies are dumb, but I'll watch literally a hundred of them. Like, just keep pumping them out. Legendary, I'll keep watching them. That's fine. <laughs> is there a hint to a to another one? There is. Monsterverse? There is not. Wow. So um, they were really like, we don't know if there is anything. Well, because I we looked, did, we just <laughs> shot our shot. Because <laughs> I looked it up, I was because I knew basically when they announced the Godzilla in 2014. I don't know if it was like right then, but it was fairly shortly after that they were like, yeah, we're we're building to Godzilla versus Kong. And so I was like, I wonder if they have any plans for after this. And on the Wikipedia page, they were like, I can't, it's like some executive who was just like, no, not really. Like we literally were just intending to get to this point. And if it does well, then we'll see how we, you know, maybe we'll do something afterwards. But, um, I also watched Shin Godzilla, which Matt, you've been recommending to me for a while. And I was kind of disappointed by it. Um, I think the really disgusting like deeply disturbing like early iteration of Godzilla was so cool and made me so upset and I was like yes this is awesome but then it just turns into a regular Godzilla movie after that and I was like okay well this isn't bad but it's definitely a letdown after how dope the first sequence was fine yeah 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 um I also watched rewatch Brooklyn which guys that movie holds up so well and I think it's like partially due to the fact that I just love that movie, but partially due to the fact that we're like over a year into quarantine, but usually I can hold my shit together and I just start weeping at the end of that movie. But it got me several times throughout. Uh, Just incredible. Can't recommend Brooklyn highly enough, especially if you're just like in the mood for a good cry. And it's not even like a sad cry. It's like a happy cry. It's very, I mean, there are some sad parts, but it's mostly like a happy cry. So get it and then finally last night i watched days and confused and that movie's so funny and parker posey is incredible in that movie her character is unreal <laughs> and if you just watch days and confused for her performance like you will not be disappointed <laughs> love me some parker posey. <laughs> the first line she says how familiar are you guys with days and confused I have not seen it, but I'm I've aware seen it's it. like high school. Yeah, so it's like, it's all set in like the last day of school. The current juniors who are going to be seniors are going to be, are hazing all like the current eighth graders who are going to be freshmen. And so there's like, it's mostly following all the guys, but there is a little bit of like the girls. And that like Parker Posey is like the ringleader of all the, like the senior girls. And the first line of dialogue she has is like timed with her, like, shoving like a like a 
pacifier into like an eighth grade girl's mouth and she just says wake up bitch (laughs) it's so intense and so aggressive it's like just oh my god (laughs) and and she's just on that level for the entire movie and it's it's just so amazing i i i cannot recommend that movie highly enough again even if it's just for parker posey i think there are other things to appreciate about that movie but every time I watch it, I just love her performance more and more than the last time I watched it. It's <laughs> so good. But yeah, other than that, I haven't been up to much. I'm, I uh, probably will watch Matt's favorite movie, Everybody Wants Some, later today. as like a companion piece to uh, Days and Confused. So look forward to me raving about that next week and Matt hating that next week. <laughs> well, I'm finished. <laughs>